There's this one meme in particular that's a photograph of the heads of an adult male lion and a lion cub. And the writing on the meme says this, Dad, what's a Super Bowl? I don't know, son, we are lions. Yeah, so here we are once again, the faithful Lion fans that we are, wondering if our team will ever be playing on this day. But we can continue to hope, and we can continue to dream. So, in honor of this being Super Bowl Sunday, I thought it might be a good idea for us all to brush up on our knowledge of referee hand signals. Not only will this knowledge help you as you watch the game tonight, but with the spin that I'm going to put on it, it may also help you every Sunday from here on out, whether it's football season or not. And I am going to need a little assistance. Kelly. If you can step forward, I have something prepared for you up here. You don't need your mic, you're good. So, instead of hand signals for football players, here are some hand signals for preachers. So when I say the offense, you need to be our referee and show us what that hand signal looks like. Good? All right, so a false start. False start penalties are given for a bad or failed introduction to a sermon. I knew this wasn't going to go well for me. <laughs> Offsides. Offsides is a subject a preacher just shouldn't address. <laughs> Clipping. Your knee, ha, ha, be careful. <laughs> Chop your knee. That was just for you. <laughs> so clipping takes place when a preacher steals another preacher's sermon. Now an incomplete pass. An incomplete pass takes place when a text is read, but in the sermon the preacher just passes right over it and doesn't touch it or refer to it at all. <laughs> holding. Preachers should be penalized for holding when their sermons go on and on, keeping the congregation too long. I have a feeling you and I are going to be seeing these quite often from here on out. Targeting. An example of targeting would be a 10-week series on tithing. <laughs> and by the way, players are ejected from a game for targeting. <laughs> face mask. A face mask could result in injuries to the listeners when the preacher gets into the people's faces too much. <laughs> Unsportsmanlike conduct. All right, this is for you. The unkind or judgy remarks people make in the greeting line after a bad sermon. <laughs> Unnecessary roughness or also a personal foul. <laughs> I think it's a this. There we go. A verse-by-verse -verse sermon on Psalm 119 would be considered unnecessary roughness. 
Any chance anyone knows how many verses are in Psalm 119? 176. And then finally, the delay of game. When preachers stay on one point way too long. Thank you, Kelly. You can head back to your bench on the sidelines. <laughs> now, so I don't get called for a holding penalty, let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. May all that we do and say in this day be well and good in your sight. Amen. So oftentimes in life, much like football, we need to step back and review the play or event that just occurred and examine it through a different lens to see if perhaps any infractions may have occurred or, things, or to see if things really played out the way we initially perceived them. For those who may not be football fans, in the NFL, coaches have two challenges per game. They can throw a red flag on the field at any time if they believe an official or referee missed a call. Once the red flag hits the turf, the head official will say, the previous play is under review. The head official will put on a headset and talk with league officials in New York City to discuss what actually happened, and they will watch the play on the screen over and over again in slow motion. Once the decision has been determined, and the referee knows what the right call is, he will go to the middle of the field and announce, upon further review, the ruling on the field stands. Or, upon further review, the ruling on the field has been changed. With that in mind, let's take a look at how such a concept played itself out in the early Christian church as its leaders were trying to figure out what it truly means to be a disciple of Christ and a Christ-following community. So our reading from chapter 15 from the book of the Acts of the Apostles starts this way. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the people this. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and, dis and debate with them. By the way, Barnabas was an apostle of Jesus and was a close companion of Paul's during his missionary journey to the Gentiles. Acts continues. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders there, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met to consider this question. Now, the apostles and elders are our game time officials and referees of the early church. They met together to discuss what it is they thought Jesus taught them on this particular subject. Instead of watching a replay on a screen, however, they recalled the events that had taken place over the past few years in their heads. And they thought back to all the teachings they had heard from Jesus while they were in his presence. And they started a dialogue, pleading their cases. So here is the play that's under review. 
Are Gentiles, or non-Jewish Christians, expected to be circumcised, as was the custom in Jewish law, and do they have to follow the law of Moses? Now, there are 613 commands in the law of Moses, which is essentially the first five books of the Bible. The question under review is, do we have to follow them? Are there only some we should follow? Maybe we don't have to follow any of them. Does being a Gentile, which we are, get us off the hook? So, this is the play that is under further review. What does it truly mean to be a Christ follower, and what must be done to make that so? Let's see what the officials came up with upon further review. Now, instead of an official coming to the middle of the field to make his announcement, it seemed better for the apostles to write a letter. So Acts 15 continues and says this. Then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to not burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered this letter. The people of Antioch read it and were glad for its encouraging message. So essentially, what happened here was the elders and officials were saying this. So upon further review, for the believer in Jesus Christ, the Council of Jerusalem says... It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following. Don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Don't eat blood or meat of strangled animals. Don't be sexually immoral. Also, don't worry about the whole circumcision thing either or any of those all other 613 laws. Just keep from de doing these things and you'll be all right. Farewell. Now, Maybe you're wishing you had a red flag of your own right now that you can throw to ask a question. Perhaps you're thinking, wait a minute. I thought Jesus said all we had to do was love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Where do all of these somewhat off-the-wall commands about circumcision, eating blood and strangled animals, and sex come from? Where's the love? I promise you, it's still there, and that is still Jesus' command. So, you, so I don't get charged for a delay of game penalty. 
I'm not going to go into the details this morning about what exactly those strange requirements really mean. However, keep in mind that all this takes place very early on in the church's history. The church had yet to have theologians and creeds and confessions and a book of order as a means of understanding what it means to be church in the way we now know it to be. They were still trying to figure out how to be a holy and set-apart people, especially in a culture where they were surrounded by all sorts of polytheism, deeply ingrained cultural norms from a wide swath of people groups, and an understanding from an ancient religion practiced by their ancestors that is now being altered, so to speak, to fit the reality that the scriptures have now been fulfilled through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The guideposts for the church had yet to be written, and those early church fathers were the ones who would eventually be the ones to write those guideposts. But in the meantime, a variety of questions were popping up here and there as the good news of Jesus Christ was now being sent to people outside of Jerusalem. So what did that look like for these people to be welcomed into the fold, and what things should they do or not do in order to be the best disciples they could possibly be based on their own cultural understandings? So upon further review, these were the things the elders and officials came up with. And we are still asking such questions within the church to this day, are we not? What is required of us as church members? What do we have to do in order to keep ourselves from falling into some of the ungodly traps of the culture that surrounds us? What does it look like to be a disciple? Let, let me remind you that in the many centuries of the Christian church's existence, it really was not all that long ago that women were not allowed to serve as pastors. It really wasn't all that long ago that our black brothers and sisters were required to worship in the balconies. It really was not all that long ago that our LGBTQ brothers and sisters were not allowed to serve in leadership or pastoral positions right here in our very own presbytery. Upon further review, most of the junk, most of the arguments, most of the disputes that have ever taken place in the church could have been avoided if we simply let the words and actions of Jesus be the only standard by which we measured our own discipleship and left the judging of others' discipleship up to Jesus. Upon further review of your own life, perhaps you have something in your past that keeps haunting you. Perhaps you have something, maybe a persistent negative thought or feeling about yourself and your heart and mind that you just can't shake. What if you just took all of that and asked God to review those plays himself and let him step into the middle of the playing field of your life and let him say the following. Upon further review, my ruling of your life stands. I love you regardless. And what would it look like if we let that judgment rule our lives rather than our own judgments? Then we could step into the middle of the playing field of our own lives and declare the following. Upon further review, 
the ruling I have given myself on my own life has been overturned based on the love of God. Remember, my friends, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And just like David said in Psalm 51, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. The game of life can certainly be hard sometimes. And yes, we do have rules and regulations that need to be followed in order that all of humanity plays fairly and justly with one another. Just like the people of Antioch were encouraged by the apostles' letter, may you also be encouraged by what God wishes to say to you and teach you in this lifetime. May you be encouraged by following the commands of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And may you be encouraged by the company of your fellow travelers and teammates as you strive for the goal line of a life well lived. So upon further review of all that was just said, love God, love people, love yourself. Do these things and you will do well. You may now stop the clock. <laughs> Amen.